Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. We are coming at you with a bonus cast. Content is dropping heavy this week, John. Been busy. We got John Gabriel on the other line. What's up, man? Oh, not much. Just uh, another day in paradise here, trying to keep my head above water. So you're already lying on the podcast. You said not much. Dude, you're, you're a hardest worker I know, man. Yeah, I grind a little bit, that's for sure. I don't think I have a uh, set schedule on what real work hours should be. Mm-hmm. You don't. Probably you suffer from a lack of balance like myself, which is why you and I could never share a same workspace. It would be unhealthy. We'd just be in there working too much, man. Yeah, it'd be a disaster. We Our uh, other halves would hate us in no time. Well, let me try to introduce you a little bit. Um, I don't know how long I've known you. I could try to figure it out, but I don't want to. But I've known you a long time, and I've always known about you because you've you're you're into some of the stuff that I'm into. You like hunting elk, check. Uh, you're really into public land mountain whitetail bucks, check. You grew up in Washington State, check. You're a graphic designer, a website builder, an entrepreneur, and you're getting married sometime soon. And that's what I got for you. How was that? It's pretty, pretty spot on. We'll, uh, we'll roll with that. I was born and raised in Washington. Uh, just moved out of there a couple of years ago down to Utah here, but I was born in Auburn and 
uh, raised there until I, well, I moved to Bonnie Lake when I was about 25-ish, I guess. So, but I spent most of my life on the wet side and uh, yeah, I don't know, had to get a little change, get out, get some more sun and get out from under all that gray sky over there. No doubt. Okay. So let's do a funny story. Well, uh, I don't know what year it was. I want to say it was 2007, but Cameron Haynes came out with like this Under Armour challenge thing where you had to submit a video and potentially go hunting caribou with him and Kit Falks, who used to be maybe the CEO or something of Under Armour. Maybe still is. I don't know. You'll let me know. And I made a video. I had a mohawk. That's all I remember. It was on my original YouTube channel, which I should have never deleted because I was like one of the first YouTube channels and I had a huge following, but I just deleted it. I made the video, got the submission in, and I didn't win. Some young punk over in Bonnie, Washington, Bonnie Lake, Washington, won the trip. And that was you. Might have been. Oh, it was you. <laughs> so do yeah. you still have that video? Uh, I might somewhere around and, and a part of the thing too, was like, it also one of the options was writing an essay. And so uh, I had John wrote an essay, you know, and at the time I was at, I was going to UW and, uh, so, you know, I, I was like in that work mode, school mode, I actually, when I was going to UW, I was actually working a full-time job, 40 hours a week and going to UW full-time. Um, but I wrote that essay too, and uh, probably an overachiever a little bit, I guess, but I ended up winning that stupid thing. It wasn't stupid, actually, it was fun, but I remember you told me that I stole your hunt. Yes, yeah, you did. I was like, I wanted to go back to Alaska and hunt caribou with Cam and Kip, and you won, fair and square, so good for you. Give us a little, uh, let's look back at that hunt, like give us the highlights of how'd that go. Yeah, so that was pretty fun. I mean, obviously, going caribou hunting for me at the time was a new thing. I'd never been. And uh, just knowing that I was going to the tundra to hunt with, you know, Cam, who at the time was, you know, kind of like my idol, I guess, like back in the day, writing for Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And, um, you know, I think all of us younger guys, maybe at the time, and even some middle aged and older guys, Cam was like the inspiration. Um, he was like the inspiration for all of us and, uh, you know, coming out, being a Western guy himself, hunting the back country and making it a, you know, a reality from a dream to go kill bulls, you know, off your back, just living on your back in a backpack style hunt and bucks and everything else. And he was just kind of that guy that, you know, I wanted to be like, and just be successful. And what do I need to do preparation wise to be like him? And so I figured it out real quick that I needed to shoot my bow more. I needed to work out. I needed to just be dedicated to the process. And once I figured that out, then it was easier moving forward from there and still to this day. And so I owe, you know, quite a bit of that to Cam. But um, then seeing guys like yourself and, you know, whatnot, I mean, it's like I followed your stuff in the very beginning and when you started training to hunt and, uh, you know, all that stuff was just, I think, in my wheelhouse because I didn't ever want to fail, like when I went hunting. Um, and I and then still to that, to this day, that's how I feel. Um, I get out of the truck and like, I don't want to fail. If I come back with an unnotched tag, like we got an issue. So um, anyways, as far as the hunt, 
uh, it was super fun. Met Cam, flew out of Seattle, met Cam at the Denver airport. And uh, we actually went to Quebec and hunted up there. Um, not Alaska. We, we went to Quebec and uh, hunted those Labrador caribou. Flew over to uh, Montreal or Toronto, I think. I can't remember. And then we had another stop. Went way up north into the north country, met up with Kip. And uh, we took a little float plane ride, like 150 miles out in the middle of the tundra and land on this little lake. And they had these cabins out there. And um, it was super cool experience. I'd never done anything like that. And uh, we got a chance to hunt with a bow for the first four days. It was a five-day hunt. And I ended up shooting one um, with my bow. I can't remember if it was day two or day three, man. That's been 13 years ago, 12 years ago now. Anyways, um, so then hunted around, Cam got one, Kip got a couple, and then um, it was the last day, and Cabela's actually filmed the whole thing for Under Armour and whatnot for their TV show, and um, they were like, hey, take a gun, we want to get good footage and try to get a big one down, and I really didn't want to do it, but I did, and shot a smoker that morning right off the bat, and uh, yeah, so it was a super fun hunt. That was my first experience with cameras, camera crews, having a photographer with us the whole time, you know, taking photos of everything. And uh, that was a super big learning curve for me of, oh boy, like if I want to do this down the road, you know, what am I getting myself into? Am I going to, you know, struggle with having a camera guy there the whole time or not? Um, but <clears throat> yeah, it was super good experience, learned a lot from Cam, you know, and just sitting around, I think like even aside from the hunting aspect, one of the big things for me was just like sitting with Cam, um, you know, and Kip at the time, he was the VP of Under Armour at the time and, uh, sitting with those guys at the dinner table and just talking to him about life and business and stuff. And, um, obviously at the time I was, you know, going to college and, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and myself. But, um, I remember, you know, asking Cam, what can I do to get in the hunting industry? You know, I, I want to be in the hunting industry. That, that's what I want to do. And uh, he's told me straight up, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. And being in the industry is not like some big glorious thing. Like there's a lot of work that goes behind it. And uh, just prepare yourself for that. And I remember him telling me, just find something you're good at and stick to it. And give it 110%, no matter what you do. And he's like, you're probably going to fail, but don't give up or find something else and move forward. If it means that much to you, you'll figure out a way. And here I am, man, that was, uh, like I said, 12, 13 years ago. And here I sit owning my own business in the hunting industry. And I've had the business for about well, 10 years now, I guess, designing websites and graphics and logos and apparel and you name it. So I don't know. It's been kind of a cool ride. That's a cool journey. I love it. Um, so you a dub, what was your degree in like probably graphic design or actually no. So I actually started out at UW as a finance major. And, uh, so I wanted to like go into like financial management or something someday. Like I love numbers. I love analytics. And about halfway through, I switched into marketing and got a marketing degree and also got a minor in finance. I kept going and took those finance classes. So I actually double majored in marketing and finance um, and then left. Uh, so 
that and at the time I was young, I did running start in high school. Um, so I actually had an associate's and business degree in my hand before I even had a high school diploma. And then when I went to UW, I was only I, I was 18. And so I was done at UW by the time I was 20 with two degrees. Um, so I don't know the graphic design thing, the web design thing. Um, I actually taught myself self taught how to do all wow. that. Yeah. So I, wow. I went home. It's kind of a funny story. I was in high school as a, a freshman and, uh, I was like, I want to learn how to build a website. And I got one of those websites for dummies 101, the big yellow books with the 101 on the cover. And I literally sat, sat down and taught myself how to code websites one night back in high school. And I don't know, just progressed and taught myself ever since. The rest is history. Yep. That's like uh, so incredible to me, man. Um, so a double major, by the way, I have a two degrees, one in exercise science and one in exercise physiology. And so for you kids listening out there, please don't do that. Uh, I wish I'd got an MBA, a master's in business. Uh, looking back, if I could go back, I don't feel like I need one now because I kind of put myself through a master's program called go, go start a business and do that for 11 years. But uh, any kids out there listening, maybe even fitness kids, you could do exercise science as a minor but go get that business degree or finance degree or marketing degree because everything kind of boils down to numbers and messaging. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to first establish your hunting pedigree here a little bit more. I don't feel like you get enough credit for how consistently you kill animals year in and year out. And most people don't know this. I just found this out recently that you actually have worked in a bow shop, pro shop, know how to do everything on a bow as well. So let's talk about archery specifically. I know you got uh, the ability to shoot long range. You have a long range setup for rifle, but let's talk about archery for a minute. Um, how did you get into it? How did you learn how to work on bows and be a wizard and go from there? Yeah. So, um, when I was actually like 14 years old, so my parents got divorced at a, when I was like four years old. So I, I don't really remember that too much, but all I knew was, is that my dad stepped up to the plate and he, every weekend, my parents lived a hundred miles away and every weekend my dad would come up and get me and take on a Friday night, drive a hundred miles, drive a hundred miles back to his house, spend the weekend. And then Sunday nights, he would drive me back home and I'd stay the week at my mom's house and, uh, go to school and then repeat. And my dad would do that every weekend, 52 weeks out of the year. But, and then during, but during the summers, uh, so maybe not 52, but out of the summers, the day school ended, I would go to my dad's house and I would spend the whole summer down. He lived on the Callitz River on the west side in Washington. I grew up fishing, racing motocross and uh, hunting, obviously. And I just kind of taken at the time, you know, an interest in archery, uh, you know, same with rifles. My dad shot long range forever and went back in the day. And so I learned how to reload at a young age. And uh, we shot way back. I mean, I'm talking, I'm like six, seven years old, shooting a little recurve. And we'd go to like those Washington state bow hunters, archery shoots and stuff with the traditional shoots and just started shooting then. And, uh, so then fast forward, uh, I think I was about 12 years old and I wanted to shoot a deer with a bow. And my dad was like, well, we probably need to get you a compound. You know, I don't want you shooting one with a recurve yet. And I was, I'm, was a small kid. Like I'm still not very big, but, um, anyways, so, uh, he just didn't think I would be able to, you know, pull enough with a recurve or whatnot at the time to be legal per, per Washington state, uh, laws. So 
we got a compound, got a little Martin Jaguar. And then um, I went to a local archery shop and down by my dad's, uh, which was the archery house at the time. Uh, George Walker owned it. And um, I met a guy in there, John Davis. And um, he ended up becoming one of my really good buddies, still is. He lives up in Libby, Montana. And you talk about an undercover elk slayer, that is the number one guy, if I were to tell anyone, who's killed bulls and big bulls. But he doesn't, he's just flies under the radar. Anyways, so, um, so that being said, uh, when I was 14, went over to the archery shop and George was like, Hey, do you want to come in here and, you know, learn how to work on bows? Like I could use a little help. And at the time, you know, I'm young. I was like, I can't even work yet. And I was like, Oh, whatever. I'll go over and, you know, just take some instruction and learn so I can work on my own stuff at home and just kind of progress. And, uh, so that turned into my dad driving me over to the archery shop every day because I couldn't drive and we would hang, he'd hang out, we'd shoot our bows. I'd learn and pretty quick I was just working on bows of people coming in the shop and learned all sorts of stuff, learned how to build strings back then. And, uh, once I finally turned 16, uh, then George, so I did that for two summers in a row, kind of like a mentorship. And then once I was 16, George started paying me and, um, I would, and then I had my license. And so I would go to my dad's and I'd drive over to the shop and I'd work and, uh, get paid, work every day, go home, fish in the evening or fish in the morning before I went to work and come back and shoot, hunt, you know, race or, uh, go bear hunting or whatever during the summer and, um, ride my motorcycle. And so I kind of learned back then. And then it was kind of just a lot of trial and error, um, you know, messing with stuff at home. We got a bow press and, um, you know, just reading online, learning online, joined archery talk, just kind of way back when, and like learning from all the guys that were on there doing it. And, uh, just kind of talking to other people and just kind of advancing my knowledge little by little, um, back then. And then obviously the internet got bigger and social media and YouTube videos and everything else. And now it's pretty easy to find stuff. But a lot of my early days, um, I learned back work at the, working at the shop. Oh, then uh, it was about 17, 18, right before I, so I stopped working at the shop because school and everything else. And, uh, I think probably chasing women or something back at the time and didn't want to go stay at my dad's the whole summer. Like I, I don't remember, but, uh, I worked at sportsman's warehouse, um, in federal way up there in their archery department. So, um, I did that for about a year, I guess. And then went to UW and changed jobs, went to a motorcycle store, but yeah. So I guess I've just kind of been doing it for a long time and just kind of always been something that I've been interested in. And, um, I like my garage right now, full bow press, arrow cutoff saw, paper tuning, uh, you name it. I mean, I could take anyone's bow, like any of my buddies that live around here and set their bow up and dial it in for them in my garage. So, yep. And I encourage anyone out there getting serious about archery to do that, to find someone to mentor them. I've just got my first bow press uh, about a year ago and just basically jumped off the deep end and said, that's it. I'm learning. I'm going to quit being the guy that just leans on a pro shop to do anything to my bow uh, and started really learning the ropes. And it didn't take long, actually. And I actually filmed a lot of that process on YouTube and just put myself out there and said, hey, guys. I've been bow hunting for 20 years now, and I'm actually going to learn the process. Very rewarding. I would highly encourage it. It does require reps. Some of that stuff for you is probably muscle memory because you've done it so much. But like, if I don't tie a peep in like once every couple months, 
I'll kind of forget. So it's just like muscle memory and getting reps. I do want to talk about your elk hunting basically journey. And I, and I know guys listening here just, so John's probably one of the best whitetail hunters I know, and we could do an entire podcast on that. And we will, it's just not the right time. So John, you're coming back on. We'll do one next fall, right before whitetail season. And we'll talk about everything you've done up to that point. Cause I know you do, you treat whitetails like elk. You, you do a lot of homework year round and that's, that's just kind of my teaser for that podcast. But today I want to talk about elk specifically. When did you start? When did you kill your first bull with a bow? And tell me about the ups and downs and your elk hunting learning curve. Yeah. So, you know, one thing for me watching my dad, you know, growing up hunting, um, I was pretty fortunate that, I, you know, I was like four years old and my dad was had me out riding around in the truck with him and his hunting buddies. And, uh, I remember watching them shoot a deer one time and I think I was like five. And after that, I was like, man, I want to do this. So long fast forward, 10 years old. I was actually, I think I was like nine. I took my hunter safety course, shot my first deer at 10. And, but my thing was, is like seeing elk horns in my dad's house, uh, and, and his hunting partners. And I'd walk in, I'm like, man, I want to kill an elk. And it was kind of one of those things that my dad was like, you're not big enough you know, and you're not old enough. And I always felt like, what do I got to do? You know, like, what do I got to do to prove to him that I can go hunt elk and I want to kill an elk. But I think I look back now and I realize maybe I was too young or not big enough or something. Cause still to this day, uh, elk take a lot of work and especially getting one out of the woods is not an easy feat. So I get why he said that, but I was so gung ho that I wanted to kill one bad. And I actually killed my first bull with a rifle at 12 years old. And, uh, my dad and I, we were just hunting a West side unit, um, down, uh, there's a ton of people. I, I can't remember Winston Creek or Cal Weeman, one of the two, um, da- there's a, it's just like rifle hunter central down there. And, uh, my dad actually put me in for a cow tag. I drew a cow tag and wouldn't, you know, it, we went out first morning. We, my dad had scouted this spot while I was in school during the week, knew there was some elk there. He's like, cool. We'll go out there. We'll get him a cow. Boom. Here's two bulls standing there. And, uh, I end up blowing one over at 300 yards. And, uh, so it was kind of cool. I didn't have to use my cow tag, but I remember that being tough after that point. And thankfully we were right next to a road. Well, kind of. And so I kind of got my first taste of packing elk at a young age. But after that, my first elk that I killed with a bow, uh, I think I was 15. Uh, I think it, it was 2005. So what was that? 15, 16 years ago. Um, yeah, I had to be 15, 16 years old. Anyways, that was one of those scenarios. We'd been up elk hunting. Um, I think if we hunted a year before with my buddy, John Davis, that I mentioned that lives in Libby and, uh, we're hunting West side in Washington and John was nice enough to invite my dad and I along and took us to a spot that he had and, uh, got in some elk the first year, didn't kill one, went back the next year with John and, uh, we, and his, and a couple of his buddies, literally, this is like one of those weird scenarios that will, I wish you got on film and it'll never go down in history ever again. We take off out of camp in the afternoon and drive up and, you know, go up to a trailhead and take off. And, uh, we literally pull out like 200 yards out of camp on this dirt road going down, boom, five point bulls stand in the middle of the road. And I'm like, Hmm. And at the time I was like, stop, you know, like we're going to kill that thing. He's, you know, He's like, no, we're not killing that elk. Like it's going to take off running. 
And uh, I was with one of John's buddies. And uh, so I, we stop, I take off out in the woods and walk like 50 yards. And I'm thinking, I do a couple of cow calls thinking, oh yeah, this bull's probably looking for cows, you know, total just whim. I happened to climb up on this big log and there was a creek there and I jumped, put my bow up on top. The log's like four feet off the ground, jump up on the log. That bull's standing on the other side of the log at like five yards looking at me, just standing there. And I picked my bow up, knocked an arrow and drew back and shot that bull. And he just stood there and the bull took off and ran right back out and died 10 yards in the road. And I was like, uh, I just killed that bull. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just shot that bull. It's dead. And it like literally ran out. So after that, that, that was like the easiest elk I think I've ever killed in my life. And, uh, it was all downhill from there. Cause everything else I've killed has been like way far away from the truck. So after that, um, my dad, we shot, I shot an, another bull, good bull in Washington, nice six point, uh, in 2007, kind of in the same area. My dad killed a 333 bull, uh, two days before that. And then, um, those are on West side in Washington. And then after that, it just took off. And so then I, uh, shot another four by five the next year and just kind of kept killing elk every year since, uh, had one year I didn't kill a bull and that was 2014. And I should have killed a giant bull i would got hung up on a 370 80 bull in montana and literally chased that bull around for two weeks and um i should have killed it had chances and i got greedy and could have shot some other smaller bulls and i learned that i like eating elk a lot better than elk tags so ever Amen. since man yeah so i've kind of been an equal opportunist or opportunist when it comes to elk hunting now so i don't really get stuck on the horns so much like if something walks out and it's legal i'm i'm whacking it um so yeah that kind of ruined me that you're not killing a bull so uh otherwise though i've killed one or well this year i killed two um shot one in montana and one new mexico and uh yeah so it's been a been a journey ever since and everything i've actually killed um has been with a bow ever since 2005 except my bull this year that I shot in Montana, I happened to shoot with a rifle. And that was the only elk that I've shot with a gun except my first one. Yeah, I knew you had stacked a pile of elk and I just kind of wanted to set the precedent and go from there. I want to transition a little bit on this podcast, friends. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit more about hunting industry, business, and we're going to show some cards because I think that's why people come to this podcast is I'm super transparent. I don't hide my cards. And so we're going to talk about my businesses. One of them happens to be with you and kind of show people how like behind the scenes of how I basically went from over a decade of having one foot in the industry to now both feet are in. And uh, it was a small process, and this podcast is not about me today. It's about John, so I'll briefly cover that. Uh, started as a basically a, an outdoor writer. I remember I solicited several publications that, hey, I, I want to su submit content, and I would do that. And that would require some writing and taking pictures and going hunting. And long story short is I got into some – I got into just about every magazine at some point with an article – um, initially it was kind of about fitness cause that was my thing. And then kind of grew into some other stuff as well. 
that grew into videography for Sportsman's Warehouse's DVDs and behind the camera, in front of the camera, writing, which grew to Bowhunter Magazine. And then I got entrepreneurial and started an online train to hunt, um, did that, and then started Elk Shape in 2013. Once I sold my half of Train to Hunt to my business partner and kind of realized Train to Hunt was for everybody getting ready for hunting. And I had realized I didn't really care about sheep hunters. I, I like sheep hunters. I just didn't care about them. I wanted to talk about preparing for elk hunting because that's that was what I live for still to this day and started Elk Shape. And then Elk Shape was kind of a side hustle. It's magazines weren't really something you wrote for. And if you, I just stopped writing. I started saying no. I had a bunch of opportunities to write for like online blogs, like bowhunting.com. And, and I did a few of those in Western Hunting Magazine. But eventually I just started saying no. Turned, I had a column in Western Hunting Magazine. Uh, I had a column in Bowhunter Mag. I just started saying no to writing and focused on Elk Shape. And that was smart. Because I then eventually figured out I wanted to do elk shape camps. And I still owned a gym and that was my full-time job. But I put out three elk shape camps and all three sold out. And the very first one I ever did, it sold out at midnight. I remember I let tickets go live at midnight and they all sold out. And I was like, huh, this is cool. And then I started realizing people were coming from all over the U.S. to come do this camp. I better make it good. And I also realized I better stay in my lane. I'm not an archery expert. I'm not an archery coach. Technical archery isn't my strength. I'm not an elk calling expert. I'm just pretty good at like getting it done, elk hunting. And I'm pretty good at being mentally and physically ready to elk hunt. And so that's what I focused on. And eventually I realized that, hey, I could do elk shape full time, especially if I sold the gym. And that's what I did. And so for those wondering, well, how do you do elk shape? Because I even had like the elk nut on or the elk nut's going to be coming up here. That episode's next week. And he's like, so you do elk shape full time? And he was like surprised. And I, I don't know why people are surprised. Like it's, there's a, yeah, I do. Um, I have platforms that I do elk shape with. So YouTube is huge for me. I'm not a YouTuber. YouTube ad money does not pay my bills, but it does put, it's a platform to put out kick-ass content. And then the podcast that you guys listen to right now is another kick-ass way for a long-form consumption of really cool content and awesome guests and great knowledge. Instagram is a great way to showcase what you're doing and how you're preparing for elk hunting uh, through, you know, good posts and good stories. And then the camps are a great way to, to teach in person and gather content there as well. So Elk Shape is a content treadmill. That's what I do for a living. I do work with brands. And somewhere along the line, I, and we'll talk about this in a second, John, but somewhere along the line, I had created Elk Shape Camp online. I wanted to have an Elk Shape Camp where people could do it online for those that couldn't come in person. And I started doing that and I had filmed every camp up to that point and built, I don't know, 80 videos of everything we covered at Elk Shape Camp. And it was going well. But I realized I was limited in my scope. I was like, man, this is all just what I can do. What if I figured out a way to get a bunch of really good elk hunters on one platform and they could teach their style, their tactics, their strategy, their experiences for the elk that they hunt? Because elk are the same and they're different depending on where you hunt, whether it's private, public, 
west side of Washington, east side of Washington. Colorado is northern, southern. I mean, it's all different. And so I actually pitched, um, I talked to Corey Jacobson, Elk 101. He was sponsoring my Elk Shape podcast at the time. And I was like, hey, Corey, I kind of want to like have a place for this Elk Shape live camp stuff to live. What about putting it on your platform? And he said he would consider it. He didn't really get back to me in the amount of time that I, that I, I mean, I was seriously ready to jump on this. And so I mentioned it to Phelps, Phelps Game Calls. And he told me he was actually already thinking about doing something similar. And then obviously I'm friends with Dirk. I told Dirk about it. He, he said, oh, I want to be in on that. And then I was like talking to those guys and I was like, well, we need a CTO, which basically means a geek, a nerd, somebody who knows code, somebody who can build things and keep everything clean and polished. And um, we just all agreed it was you. And so we didn't really give you a choice. We said, John, you're, you're in on this business. And so we ended up starting the Elk Collective. And the premise behind the Elk Collective was like, look, let's build a video-driven virtual elk hunting course where people can learn by watching and listening. They don't have to read a thing. And let's not just make it about Dirk or about Jason or myself or you. Let's just go reach out to all our network of friends and have them help build this digital educational platform. And that's how that started. And we're going to talk about that, John. But first, I want to backfill how you started Apex Advertising, how you created your own business. I want to hear your business story. Yeah. So uh, like that, that was a good way of, of getting in an industry for you and, and kind of funny how we all have our own journeys. Um, so when I was going to UW, I was working at a motorcycle store. And I, like I said, I grew up racing motocross. That was kind of my life as a, as a kid. Um, and I was selling motorcycles and I sold motorcycles for about a year, year and a half. And then the F and I position in the motorcycle store opened up. And that's basically kind of like somewhat of a second in charge position in the store. And I'm like 19 years old. And, uh, anyways, so 19 ish, 20, I was, it was right when I was at UW and, um, I went into F&I where you handle all the paperwork, sell warranties, do all that stuff, and you better cross your T's, dot your I's, and make sure everything's good because that paperwork's going to loan companies in the state and everywhere else. So I was super good at that. I got an opportunity. I knew I always I liked numbers. Like I said, I always I wanted to go into something financial. And one of my brother's really good friends, Ryan Hills, was a loan officer. And uh, anyways, I got a chance to go do home loans. And I did home loans for couple years and it was right when the market crashed back in like 2008 and uh so everything just went down and it was a disaster so here i am gave up my job at the motorcycle store which nobody was buying toys anyways because they didn't have any extra income and the economy was horrible and so here we're i'm sitting doing home loans well uh, this, this guy that I worked with, Ryan Christensen, um, still love that guy to this date, man. He's smart and he's still working for, uh, Ryan and the home loan company. And, uh, they've switched hands a couple times, some different people, but, um, anyways, was Eagle home mortgage. I think now they're with movement mortgage or something like that, but we were working with Eagle at the time and decided that we wanted to kind of come up with something to market so we're, we're loan officers and we wanted to get real estate agents to work with us. 
And we needed them because they were getting out or they were fielding us leads and they'd go out, do all the heavy work and churn in, you know, hey, I got a client that needs to buy a house and he get pre-approved for a home loan, yada, yada. Here we are. And then we would pre-approve them and do the loan. And that's how we were making our money. So in that process, I started spending a lot of time designing flyers, designing uh, sign writers, coming up with like little marketing things for real estate agents, building websites. So Ryan and I are sitting on the backside and we're building all these websites and stuff and trying to just generate leads. And I mean, we're building like lead generating websites, you know, for us and just doing all sorts of stuff, posting on Craigslist, you name it. So we figured out this sit or this uh, kind of a, it was a program that we came up with and put a script out on Craigslist where it would take these bank owned homes after the market was down and everyone's houses went back to, uh, you know, foreclosure. So all these banks owned all these houses. Well, we were able to get with some of the agents, really good agents in Washington. And we were putting out these ads on Craigslist that would be like, you know, some house in Graham, Washington, blah, blah, blah. And you'd click it. And then, but we wouldn't have the price on there and it would be a, Hey, you know, call for, um, you know, more information or whatever. And, uh, so anyways, we were just getting leads, just, excuse me, we were getting leads coming in left and right and people wanting prices on these houses. So we were passing all this stuff over to all these agents and having these real, real estate agents, you know, deal with them. And we were just getting tons of leads. And so business was good. Well, then Ryan Hills, the main guy in the office was like, Hey, you need to take this thing and you need to start your own business doing this and, you know, work with real estate agents and that type of thing and other loan officers and kind of help them generate leads. Well, I wish I'd have known about business as much now as, or as back then, as much as I do now, because I'd probably be in a whole different financial situation rather than giving stuff away for free or uh, doing it very cheap for agents back then. And so I didn't know what the market would bear for someone building websites or logos or flyers or any design work, that type of thing. So I really kind of shot myself in the foot for a long time. And then, so then the word kind of just started spreading around. I started using social media as a way to, um, you know, kind of just leverage like, Hey, I'm building websites. I'm doing design work. I'm doing this. And it just kind of started spreading, um, around on social media and get one client started doing work for Cam Haynes. And I actually designed his keep hammering logo and some other logos that he has, but you see the keep hammering logo everywhere. And I made that way back in the day. And, uh, so it just kind of started spreading around. And then next thing you know, bam, I'm getting phone calls left and right from everyone in the hunting industry. I was still doing some stuff on the real estate side and kind of just branched out and like network with people that I knew, uh, did coffee websites, dog grooming websites. Like at the time it was just like, whatever I need to do to get business and like make it fly. I'm designing logos and whatever else, vehicle wraps. And, uh, then pretty quick, it kind of just transitioned over solely into hunting. And here I sit doing a ton of stuff, uh, you know, in the hunting industry, I still do a lot of stuff, you know, kind of all over the place. I, 90% of my work is probably hunting, fishing related, but, um, 
a lot of the work, you know, that I take on and stuff that I still do is, you know, kind of all over. And I like working on other things because it keeps my mind fresh rather than working on hunting stuff every single day. I enjoy the challenge and doing different things. Um, but that being said, then here came the Elk Collective. Yeah, I've worked with a ton of people in the hunting industry, um, done stuff, you know, for Kifaru, Phelps Game Calls. I basically built Phelps, or uh, I've been with Phelps, you know, from day one and, uh, you know, built that, helped him build that from the ground up and did all his design work, logo, everything. And um, a ton of people in the industry, Skull Hooker, I did, you know, done stuff for them. Um, I, I, dude, I got a list of too many people. Catching deer. What's catching deers. Um, yep. Yeah. You name it. Like the list goes on. I've done stuff with so many people now. Like I, I couldn't even begin. Like I got folders after folders of clients and stuff. And, um, I've just enjoyed, you know, I think more than anything is like the relationships and people that you meet along the way that have common interests with you. And I think that's what kind of keeps me in the industry, um, is just that camaraderie and, you know, just the love for what I do. I mean, I love building logos. I love building websites. And I think, you know, the one thing that I enjoy about it is seeing other people be successful. Like I like being successful, but I also like making things and I like seeing other people be successful and being able to help them get there and achieve like their dreams. And so, um, I, that's kind of like a big thing for me. Like I'm I just, you know, kind of giving in that way. It's like, I just, you know, Hey, I want to see someone else do something and be, you know, able to live a good life too. So then the Elk Collective comes along and, um, obviously we, you know, we kind of talked about how that got started and you guys reached out to me and, um, I, you know, Hey, it was, it was a good thing, good opportunity, something to kind of further my business career, I guess and um decided to kind of jump on board with you guys and you kind of gave me free reign a little bit in the beginning to hey come up the logo come up with you know branding colors everything and uh you guys were kind of you know we'll handle the the heavy lifting with all the videos and stuff you do the heavy lifting on the the site and getting all our marketing in place and so i did and uh here we sit and so i think you know for me i you know obviously there's so much that goes behind the scenes that most people will never even fathom as stuff that I do or anything to help keep the the business going with the collective or other businesses and just things that like go on that I do. Like if I could have like three of me, man, I'd be like, I'd be rich. It'd be great, but I don't. And so there's only so much time in a day, but, um, I literally kind of, I work seven days a week pretty much when it's not hunting season. Um, I know there's a lot of times you and I talk, you know, especially lately at 10 o'clock at night and, uh, you know, I'm still probably working. So I, I, my philosophy is if there's a day that I can work, I better be working because when hunting season comes here, I want to go hunt. And so I, I'm like, I'll work 300 days a year to be able to take 60 days off during the fall and go hunt or whatever, you know, a combination of, uh, between September, November, whatever, October, August, somewhere in there. But it's like, I work every single day, seven days a week. That's just who I am. And I know my other half, Kylie about to be my wife, fiance right now, who knows, hopefully she stays around, but, uh, I know she hates it because she says that like, I mean, she loves how much I work, but she just hates that. I'm like 
so wrapped around business and like trying to be successful. And she knows I'm doing it too, because, you know, it's like for her and, you know, whatnot, it's like, I want to, you know, be able to take care of her and whatnot too. But, um, I know it drives her nuts because she says that I need to turn myself, turn my brain off and my brain never shuts off. Like I'll literally be laying there some nights and be like one in the morning. I'm like, Oh, I got the best idea. I need to go do this. And like, you know, so I'll hop out of bed sometimes and go work. So, um, I don't know. I feel like if you're not dedicated to something enough to do that in like at all hours of the day, you need to find something else to do because that means you don't love it enough. So, mm. yeah, you are a hard worker. I usually get my first text of the day from you. It's usually while I'm working out. So it's usually somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. I can count on you probably already being in the office for an hour and thinking of something and sending me a text. And then I'll get I'll get a business text from you late as well. Yeah, you're, you're always working, always available. And I think it's partly because you can do so much for companies as far as Apex advertising goes. Like, do you need a logo? Well, John can design your logo. Do you need graphics? He can design your graphics. Do you need your website built from ground up? He can build your website. So it's kind of your own fault having all those abilities under one roof, which is super rare because I think a lot of companies end up having to hire a videographer, a photographer, a graphic designer, a web guy, and then they got to keep, you know, so being a one-stop shop is what probably puts you on the map under Apex Advertising. Let's give people some advice here before we kind of geek out on the Elk Collective biz, business and how it works. People listening want to start a side hustle. I get a lot of messages of how do I get into the hunting industry? And I always tell them, don't. I'm like, don't get in the industry. Like, Go start a really successful business that is thrives without you there and get by yourself time so you can go hunt all the time. Because ultimately, that's probably what they really want is to be able to hunt a lot. Um, when you are in the hunting industry, you can probably hunt a lot, but it is your job. So you have deliverables. You have to, you know, it changes things. And it's not always for the bad, but I don't go elk hunting anymore without um, some serious intentional decisions made on photography and videography and content and and all that kind of stuff so what's your best advice for kind of maybe starting a side hustle for the right reason and then what does it actually take to get it off the ground yeah, i think you know it's funny you hit the nail on the head right there um a lot of people want to be in the hunting industry because they think that's all we do is we get to go hunt and i think that's the biggest misconception out of anything that has ever been said is that dude we work way more than especially if you own your own business regardless of if it's in the hunting industry or not if you are an entrepreneur and you own a business you work 24 7 um i mean it, it, it like got a great example cody rich like he's got a couple of businesses his podcast the fuel box everything that guy works just as much as we do um so i love like-minded people but i would say that as far as starting a side hustle, I'd almost encourage somebody to start one outside the industry. So that way you are focused on that. And when you actually get a chance to go hunt, you're hunting and enjoying it and loving it for the reason of hunting. Um, and, and I do, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like everything I do, like I love to hunt. I, I, there's nothing that's taken away from that. It's just every time I go hunting now, I'm thinking about, oh, I better do this. I better get these pictures. I better go do that. 
oh, I got to do this because people are counting on it. Um, and I'm also looking at having those things for advertising purposes. You know, I get clients that come to me, hey, I need an image of this or I need to build an ad and or something on my website. And, oh, I don't have any imagery. OK, well, hold on. Like I got a bunch, you know, it's like and so I'm always taking stuff in different scenarios and stuff just for advertising purposes. Um, you know, so rewind a little bit. I would probably tell someone like if you can go start a hot dog stand and make a million bucks, like go do it, you know. So I don't care. I mean, even for me, it's like I don't care where my money comes from as long as my bills are paid and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I would go sell slushies on the corner as long as my bills were paid and as long as it allowed me to have that freedom. And I think that's one thing that an entrepreneur uh, generally is looking for is like time is money, right? So you're always looking for what is that next thing that I can do that's going to free up some of my time and allow me to still continue on to what I can do, but be more efficient and more successful with the given time in, in a day. So I don't know, like what, what would you, I mean, you know, as far as like business wise, I don't know that there's any like one right or wrong business that anyone could start as long as they were passionate about it. Um, but I think the key is like finding something that you're going to want to invest your time in and be successful. But then when you start talking about what it takes to get the business from the ground up, okay, let's start and think, okay, what am what industry am I getting into? Um, who are my competitors? You know, what's my strategic advantage of my business over someone else? Like, you know, say for example, it's like you got McDonald's and Wendy's, like what did, what, what were they thinking? Like, what do I have to offer that the other doesn't when they started? Um, and then, you know, once you kind of figure those things out, then it's okay. Now let's look at getting a logo made because the logo initially first is going to set your, your branding and your presence for that business. So let's start there. Let's figure out any typefaces that go with it, colors, um, you know, your color palettes, that type of thing. And any design elements that would go inside the logo or around it or whatever and, and start and get that set. Then let's move forward into, okay, now we're looking at a website might need some other marketing materials, stationary materials, you know, uh, letterhead, business cards, those type of things for putting, you know, your feet on the ground and going out and actually, um, you know, doing that hard selling door to door thing. Or maybe you have a truly online business. And so now let's dial in the website, make that look good and convert and, and bring sales in. Um, and I think a lot of things, there is a combination of both. I don't think that you know, necessarily just having an online business is a super easy thing to do. Uh, you know, it's, you better have some good marketing abilities behind the scenes, email marketing, uh, online advertising campaigns, uh, connections with other businesses to help promote things or, you know, relationships. Um, I don't know, like there's, there's a lot of ways to go about business and business aspects, but you know, I agree with that. And I think you should help me paint a picture and I'm going to paint two different pictures for you folks listening to try to get some juice out of this podcast. Like to squeeze it out is think about when I was running a gym for about from 2013 to 2018. So for that five years, John, I opened the gym up 
at, you know, I was up at 4 a.m. every day. That does not give me a lot of time to work on my side hustle because I'm up early. But because I started early enough and eventually I hired out my afternoon and evenings and it started out by just hiring out my evenings and then I hired out my afternoons and I duplicated myself and I spent less time working in the business and more time working on the business. And that really didn't happen to like the last two or three years of me owning the gym. And once I finally committed to investing and developing other people, not my clients, but my staff and my team, that's when I really got to focus on elk shape. So that was a process. And that's where some of you would want to do that at your nine to fives or whatever, is you need to figure out how to carve out time to hustle. And for some of you, if you don't have to be at work till nine, then you should be up at four and work vigorously for the first hour while everyone's still asleep on your side hustle. And then what I eventually was able to do was go to the gym from four, you know, 5 a.m., be home by one, already worked out, already taught several classes, already held a trainer meeting, coached a couple of my trainers, and then I'm at home. Get to see the kids get home from wherever they were doing, hang out, eat dinner, hang out with the family, put them to bed, and then stay up till 10 or 11 working back on my side hustle elk shape. And I can't even tell you how many videos I made, all that kind of stuff in the wee hours of the night, editing images and, and trying to figure it out as a solopreneur. I want to paint another picture. So I guess that's to recap that it's you have to hustle. You're going to sacrifice something. Hopefully it's not family time. I think maybe sleep initially to get the hours in on your side hustle and go from there. And I like solopreneur. I've had a business partner before on two different businesses and both those didn't really work out. I I just felt like I was pulling more of my, I was pulling more weight and that's never a good feeling. And you never want to have a partner that has similar strengths than you. You want to have a business partner that potentially your weaknesses are their strengths and you guys complement each other and their work, their work ethic mirrors your work ethic. And so there's never any bitterness. You're not harboring like any of that kind of stuff. It's just a positive environment. Now, the other picture I wanted to paint is where we're at now, John. Like I literally, I said, I'm on a content treadmill for elk shape. But what people don't know is I'm also on a content treadmill for the elk collective. It is a video driven e-course that it's never finished. Like there can, there can always be more videos from other elk hunters and there can always be more things we cover about elk hunting. And so that's what we agreed was that the elk collective would be living and breathing content that we just continuously add more. And so what I'm doing is working feverishly on elk shape, but I'm side hustling now on the elk collective and who knows, maybe there's a point one day where all I do all my content lives and breathes at the elk content. Maybe that's where I want to go with it. Maybe not. We'll see. But I could be doing a podcast that's exclusively for the elk collective. I could be making no more YouTube videos and all my videos I make go to the elk collective. We're not there yet, folks, but you see what I'm saying. It's the same principle. So I squeeze hours now to work on the elk collective and have been. And that's largely why it has so much content right now. Um, so let's talk about the Elk Collective and kind of how our business works and how we set it up. Yeah. So I think, you know, as far as, as the Elk Collective goes, um, you know, you kind of mentioned it's, it's an online e-course, uh, you know, for virtual elk hunting courses is what we call it. Um, so 
what it is, 120 videos that we have. Well, actually, had, shoot, we just added some more. So we'll say 120 plus. We know there's 120, but actually, I think there's over 130 now. Um, and there is everything on that course um, from like an introduction. How do you get into elk hunting? What is elk hunting? And then it just slowly progresses further and further. Um, I don't care if you're a beginner or it's an advanced elk hunter. There's something on there for everybody to learn. Um, you know, elk calls, using elk calls, different, you know, levels of elk calling. Um, you know, how to shoot your bow, how to set up your bow. Um, you know, fitness, nutrition, like Dan mentioned, you know, he, he's got a bunch of that stuff from his elk shape stuff. And, uh, you know, from his experience on the gym, um, we've got gear to use guys like Aaron Snyder, Ryan Lampers on there, um, talking about backcountry hunting and, uh, you know, how to be successful and, and not kill yourself when you're out in the woods and, and make things enjoyable. And then, um, you know, we got stuff from Brian Barney from Eastman's Eastman's elevated on there. Uh, giving tips and tactics about elk hunting and certain types of elk hunting. Um, overdrive podcasts from some really good guys in the industry. And, uh, you know, the director's cuts, which are great. We basically Yeah, I want to talk about those because director's cuts to me is what, you know, I hate to share this because I feel like it's kind of like, well, I'm going to share it because that's who I am. But like, Having Jason Phelps and Dirk Durham help us help start this thing was very powerful. Those guys are very good at what they do and they're very seasoned. And then having Guy Eastman come on and Chris Rowe, an elk biologist. I mean, and, and we have unlimited, we have so many more people on our list to get content from. It's such a cool way to learn how to elk hunt, regardless if you're archery rifle and believe it or not muzzleloader doesn't get the love that it should there's so many great elk hunting opportunities for muzzleloaders and if you're an opportunist that's something that everyone should take away from this podcast there's some really good seasons and dates in every state just about with a muzzleloader but what we just did with the director's cut was we're like all right a lot of our stuff is going to go to a film or to a film tour or to a promotional this or a youtube video and they're going to see the hunt but what if we did the same hunt, but we, we mic'd up like Dirk and we went through his mouth tab madness and I got to watch the video with him. So you guys are watching his hunt, but I'm pausing throughout the way and asking him, okay, why did you guys stop and bugle here? What time of day is it? How far was that bull? Which way was the wind going? What did that, what was that bull trying to communicate to you? Why did you do this? Why did you zig? Why did you zag? why didn't it work out how did you screw it up what led to your success to me the director's cut is something that i never want to put out there for free because it's literally the most juiciest stuff that we do would you agree yeah 100 percent. the thing with the director's cut and we've had a lot of the people that actually you know are involved in the course our members um make comment about how much they love that because they feel like they're actually getting like a one-on-one -on -one with Dirk or Jason or you or whoever about a hunt and seeing, okay, I, you know, I was in that scenario this fall. Well, dang, that's how Dirk did it. Maybe I should have done it that way. And so they're, they're learning, like they're taking so much away from those videos that like, I, I don't think that that can be replaced, you know, by much other than more of those videos and seeing different scenarios and that type of a thing that is such powerful information 
I feel like every elk hunter out there should recognize, and I know that Paul Medell would probably disagree with me, but we are friends. We can disagree. Uh, he feels like he can call any bull in, and I think he probably can eventually, um, but you just have to be really good and know exactly what you're doing, and the setup's just got to be perfect. I think Dirk's another guy that really his vocalizations are so realistic and he knows what elk are going to do before they do it that a lot of his stuff works uh same with phelps same with you but everyone hunts a little different like brian barney doesn't call at all i personally like to only do locators maybe cow calls um, but a lot of my elk i've killed have just been sneaking in and shadowing the herd or staying on the fringe and i feel like we have to exploit everyone's tactic so that you show up to the mountains with a bag full of tricks you learn how to decoy properly who's the guy we have on there who does all the decoys was that zach bohe yeah, zach those bohe. are such good videos on how to use a decoy in open country um basically because of that video i bought a heads up decoy and, and i started using a decoy last year and actually had a couple call-ins with it so just evolving even though i've kind of i guess 19 seasons that was my first time really trying to employ that and had good success like you have to be willing to change things and try new things and do it accordingly to the situation maybe elk are getting more pressure maybe public land hunting has changed maybe the back country is not as a good option as some of the front country now and so i think if we continue to evolve with the course and put out more and more strategy tactics that people are going to understand that they're going to see more success down the road. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and I think that's kind of one of the big things with the course is that we always want to make sure that we have new content for you guys and, and, and always be evolving because as things, as times change, uh, you know, and, and one thing that we just actually covered, Dan, was the Wyoming draw system. And as draws and points and point creep get harder and harder in each of these states, like we're covering that for you guys, you know, and trying to help you guys learn and, and figure out what the maybe not the ideal situation or solution is, but maybe offer a suggestion to you guys on, hey, here's what we would probably be doing in your situation if we had certain points in certain areas or this or that, um, just to kind of add another little chip in your hat so you guys can make the best educated decisions. Um, but there's so much content on there, Dan. Like, I don't even think like we didn't even cover it all. Like there, and, and there's anyone who's looking to elk hunt or literally just become a better elk hunter at any little thing. Like we probably have covered it and we got something for you on there. Um, you know, so, and maybe you only take away, maybe you watch every single video, which I can tell you right now, no member has even watched every single video. I can tell you that because I've looked at the, the stats on the backside. So if that gives you a hint about how much content there is, there's a ton. Um, but if you pick up one tip and it helps you go out in the woods this fall and you kill a bull from one tip, to me, that's worth the money. Like, I, dude, I'd pay a thousand dollars to someone if I got one tip and I could go out and notch a tag every single year on a bull. Done. I don't care if it was one little thing that maybe I just didn't think about, but I heard it and it stuck with me. And in that moment of truth, when I was in the woods and that bull was standing there or coming in, or I needed to make a move, boom. That's where the money is. So we did 
we did start out with the course being like, and this is more like for you guys looking under the hood so we can kind of show you how we operate our business and, and how we came up with prices and stuff. Like initially we wanted it to be a good amount of investment given all the content and how expensive it is to hire cameramen, hire editors, pay for hosting of that much volume of content. I mean, it's, yeah, it's expensive to have this website and that's stuff that you guys will learn if you decide to do e-commerce. But the the main point of all that is, is that, okay, we started out with a price point. I think it was like 119 for a year subscription. And then just recently we changed, and I want to talk about changing and, and being fluid for you solopreneurs or entrepreneurs or soon to be, is I think there's a lot of power in having fluidity and being able to pivot based on the market and based on what, you know, obviously don't undervalue what you're doing. I think more people do that and that's super easy, but also understanding what value you, what makes you different. And so the differentiator between us was like, okay, we're starting a new campaign. We're doing this sick, I mean, sick 10 week giveaway where we decided to buy the grand prize winners. We're going to buy your over the counter elk tag for you in 2021. And if you've already bought one and that's where you're going, we'll just reimburse you for your OTC tag. And most of our hunting centers around the blue collar elk hunters who just hunt over the counter um, because that's who we are. The second place is like not a bad prize. It's like, a, oh, a brand new PSE bow. Uh, and then the third place prize, grand prize, is a reckoning pack and frame from Kafaru. And then we went and worked with all of these partners and got a bunch of free stuff to give out throughout the the 10 weeks. And so to get into this, and this isn't like us talking about the, we're not plugging our thing. We're just letting you know how, how we came up with it was we like, we wanted to do like a, a 10 week giveaway where if you signed up for the Oak Collective, no matter when you signed up over the 10 weeks, you had a chance at winning a bunch of cool prizes and potentially win the grand prizes. And we wanted to reward those that were already members so kind of go through that, John, and how you came up with that from a marketing angle, as well as what it actually is so people that are interested can get involved. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, I guess, you know, from like a business standpoint is, you know, you, you want everything to kind of fit in line with, you know, your end result. And our, I think our end result, regardless of, you know, anything that came out of it, it was, it's our customers. And we want, we're, we're literally, we're trying to give you guys an incentive to sign up for the elk collective to literally benefit you and your elk hunting. I don't even care if it's elk hunting. You might learn something in there that you could use for mule deer hunting or different type of hunting, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that was kind of our end thing is like, how do we get eyes on this and how do we get people to see and engage and enjoy all the content that we've had? Because this is literally for you guys. Like, this is not, this is not like a, Hey, like I'm greedy. I want a bunch of money that no, that's not what this is. And when you have four guys going into something as business partners, let me tell you, like, it's not about the money, the money that is not what you're not in it to make a bunch of money at that point. So it's literally, let's, let's give people what they can, you know, utilize a tool that they can utilize to help make them more successful in whatever they're doing in the woods. So we put together the giveaway to try to get you guys engaged. And uh, each week, like Dan said, we're going to be giving away certain prizes, you know, whether, you know, game bags, goat knives, Phelps game call packages, uh, you know, skull hooker, 
um, loophole rifle scopes, like whatever weekly plus the grand prizes. Um, we have a bunch of stuff and we named this thing, the ultimate DIY kit giveaway. And the reason that we named it the ultimate DIY kit giveaway, like Dan said, is because we are blue collar guys. We usually, I mean, it's like, like I told Dan this the other day, the only elk that I've ever killed on any sort of a special tag was in Montana, uh, not this year, last year. And that's the only, and it's just a general, I mean, like there's tons of archery tags, like anyone can go pretty much draw one. Um, it's, I personally think there's a lot of areas to hunt in Montana on a general Montana tag that you'll probably kill a bigger bull anyway. So it's, it's not even really like a coveted thing, but, um, that's the first elk that I'd killed on any sort of a special, any sort of tag, any drawn elk tag or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but that being said, um, we're blue collar guys. We want to do things that are blue collar and be able to provide you guys with opportunities to win some killer gear and, you know, just kind of further your hunting and your hunting career as well. Um, and we know it's, Hey, anytime you get something for free and it's like that, what, what's better than that? Because we're here, we sit having to explain to the other half that you just went and dropped $200 on a knife. They aren't exact or they aren't super happy about that except then they go and spend $300 on a purse. So, I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really, but, but it doesn't matter in their eyes. They don't see it that way. It's like, you just, spent you know $200. what my wife goes and buys, What's she, that? Goes and, she goes and buys a miter saw. She's like IGTV, do it yourself lady. And that's oh. her splurge. She just bought a new miter saw. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to object. Cause yeah. there's some gear I'm going to be buying in June, July, August leading up to the hunting season. Yeah. And it'd be nice to get people some updated equipment for their hunts now versus that classic time of year where people start really like kind of spending quite a bit on upgrading certain gear items for the, the fall, usually that June, July, August timeframe. So why not get these trail cams in their hands now and get them out? Why not get this new backpack so they can start doing some rucking workouts with it? Get that new bow, get the vibe with the bow, fill it out, really get it to fit you and kind of go from there. And then, yeah, get reimbursed or get your get your tag paid for you. So to enter each week, we basically are setting aside prizes for whoever signed up that week. And so for week one, we've had quite a few sign up. So we changed the price too. We made it way more affordable because again, John kind of alluded to it. This isn't really a money-making thing for us. Like this is not going to be like our big ticket retire, but it's like we got to make it, the value still be there, but very competitive and make it almost a no-brainer for anyone to sign up. So we lowered it to $89.99 for a year membership. And we even did this, like we made it so you could pay monthly in case that would just be a better situation, which it has been for some people where you just pay 10 bucks a month. It's a minimum of six month commitment, but you are month, you're paying just a monthly $10 fee and you have access. And really you need those six months to digest all that information. Um, I know if I were to sign up for the course, I would probably try to like watch maybe a video a day and maybe take a few notes. And then over the course of six months, have all that information and start going through my notes and really fine tuning my systems. Um, and then by the time you do that, we'll probably have just as many more videos back out for you to start all over and start doing the same process, but just be a student of the game and win the day, get 20, 30 minutes in a day of just learning more about elk hunting. Knowledge is power. 
And if you don't live out West, especially you, there's a lot you can be doing, especially with the e-scouting stuff that we've done on our course and get those boots on the desktop, get those boots on the desktop and be efficient. So I think the new price structure is definitely awesome. And also you can get a discount on the yearly rate, the new yearly rate. What's the discount code? Uh, it is DIY kit. And that knocks off 30 bucks. Jeez. So right now for the next 10 weeks, if you use that code, you'll get the course for 59 for a year and you'll be basically balling and learning right away. And so that's kind of how we did it guys. That's how we set up an, a side hustle. Um, and it's, I would call it more of a passion project. Like it's really fun to get those emails, those direct messages about people's success that they had and what they've learned and how thankful for they are. To me, that's worthwhile work. 100%. I love seeing the messages come in and like, you know, people that even bought the course, you know, right before season. And, and here's kind of one thing I want to pitch to two people that are maybe even considering it. Do it now because, and, and this isn't just saying go do it now because of the giveaway. This do it now because like Dan just said, if you watch one video a day, as of right now, it's going to take you four months to watch all the content. Think about that for a second. Four months, if you watched one video a day, you're in it for four months. I guarantee you're not going to do it. So if you did, it like my hats off to you. Like I will track it and someone message me and, and I'll send you a hat. But it it just it's kind of one of those things where if you start now you're going to be prepared by the time summer gets here. And that way you can have that time in July or August when or June, July, August, when you, you know, the wife wants to take the kids and you guys want to go camping or you want to go out scouting or whatever. You probably might've picked up some tips from us in the scouting section, you know, on our course that you can take with you to go out in the woods. Now, if you wait until July or August to buy this thing or June, whatever, even cause summer's there, uh, now you're going to be scrambling what can I learn? Whereas you could have already went out and practiced some of these things. And then, oh, I'm going to rewatch that again. Oh, I'm, yep. Okay. And I brushed up on it and now you're good to go. So that's my whole thing. Like, and Dan and I, we actually talked about this the other day because Dan was kind of, he made comment to me on the phone about peeling back the layers. And he's like, dude, you don't show it that much on social media about all the things that you do. And he's like, but I know you got to be doing a lot of stuff because he's like, you're successful and pretty much every hunt you go on and you're notching a lot of tags. So what are you doing? And it's kind of funny. And I never really thought about it in that way. But anyone that knows me, I am doing something hunting related, lot, you know, work, whatever. But like aside from that, I make some point during the day, you know, to do something hunting related, whether it's researching a unit whether it's researching on scouting on Google Earth, e-scouting, looking at maps, uh, you know, whatever it is, talking to someone that, you know, just trying to learn a little bit, pick someone's brain here and there, um, or shoot my bow, working out, whatever it is, I'm doing something every single day. Like there's not a day that goes by that I don't. And so when hunting season gets here, yeah, like I've already put in, you know, six, eight, nine months of work before elk season even opens. So keep that in mind, like just, you always got to be doing something if you want to be successful. You don't have to, but if you want to be, just put the odds in your favor, that's probably what I'd recommend. I love it, dude. Well, 
I think that was fun to kind of talk about some business, some strategy, get people thinking. Also, just be transparent. I know people appreciate that. Really good job, man. I, I love working with you. I love your hustle, and that is my love language. So um, real quick, where, where can people learn more about the Apex advertising as well as um, your, your socials and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, if you want to see any design work that I do or any of the companies and stuff I work with, you can go to apexadvertising.co, just C-O, not .com, .co. And uh, then social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, at John Gabriel. And uh, that's J-O-N, no H, G-A-B-R-I-O. And then um, they can also check us out on the elkcollective.com. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, you know, go from there. So um, go to theelkcollective.com, though, and go check out the big giveaway we got going on right now um, that's that's running. And get yourself, get yourself a chance to get entered in that thing and at least win some cool stuff while you're increasing your knowledge. Word. All right, guys. You have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. We appreciate you guys. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, guys. Well, that was a fun podcast. It was cool to hear John's story. Uh, and I hope that somehow, some way, maybe you were learned a thing or two about elk hunting. Or maybe you thought of something that you should work on as a side hustle. Or maybe you solidified that you will never want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know. I think this stuff's fun to talk about business, talk about strategy, and to talk about elk hunting. So where we can kind of combine all those into one super cool. John's a really cool guy, and it was fun to kind of talk about our passion project, the Elk Collective. So hopefully we didn't bore you guys. You got something out of it. And honestly, it's just a podcast, a bonus cast, because I have so many awesome episodes coming up. So if you're digging this content, you're in luck. I have a lot of episodes I'll be dropping uh, that are already done, and I'm just trying to space them out. So this is uh, my way of saying thank you for your support. Thank you. I appreciate you guys, and I hope you're continually working hard in the name of better elk hunting and doing something every day in the name of better elk hunting. Super stoked for the uh, first elk shape camp of the year. It's coming up in Seminole, Texas at Corbin's Archery. That thing's more than sold out, and I can't wait to go down there. I'm super stoked, and I guess I should always, every podcast, at least drop our discount codes for, for those that are interested in saving some loot and just adding some value. Some of these are partners and some of these are not so some of them are just give backs to you guys because i appreciate you so let's go over a few the first thing is what we just talked about the discount code diy kit that is a promotion we're doing with the elk collective that'll get it down to 59 dollars a year and so i would go ahead and jump on that plus you're going to be entered to win the weekly prizes and the grand prizes of an over-the-counter elk tag your choice the pse bow and the Kafaru backpack, the reckoning and frame tag hub. These guys are not a sponsor, but they have a discount code ElkShape15 to get 15% off their basically awesome program to do your tag allocation research, the draw process, the draw ins and outs, the nuance of every state, including your draw odds. So check out Tag Hub. Use that discount code if you're interested. Numa Outdoors. I love these people, man. I just got an email from them. 
They're giving away a bunch of NUMA swag at every camp. Uh, they gave me giveaways to do for the December Chub Challenge. They're going to give me more giveaways for YouTube. Every platform, they're super awesome. Great company to work for. Please support them. Discount code is ElkShape20. Yes, their stuff's legit. I wouldn't wear it if it wasn't. You guys should know better. So check them out today. Link in the show notes. Baku e-bikes. I just got my 2021 e-bike. I gave away my old e-bike on the December Chub Challenge. So I've been without an e-bike for a couple weeks now. And I got some trail cameras I want to go get. And a that bike would come in real handy. So I'm going to set that up to probably tonight after my next podcast and get my bike rocking and rolling. If you want an e-bike, if you're going to get an e-bike, please consider Baku. They are hunters. They make bikes for hunters. The discount code is ElkShape300. You can order right off their website, save 300 bucks. Appreciate that. Black Ovis, uh, these guys are helping out with Elk Shape Camps, giving away socks, giving away gaiters, giving away discount codes to all my Elk Shape campers. And they have a discount code for you podcasters. So if you haven't had a good Black Ovis experience, they're a great online retailer. And they have a wide variety and great prices. Discount code is Elk Shape. That'll save 10% off. Some exclusions apply. Go check it out. Stowaway Gourmet. Not a sponsor as well. Discount code ELK10 will get you 10% off their freeze-dried food. Their stuff's super rad. I highly recommend it. It tastes good. Get ahead of that July, August time when everybody's back-ordered. Get your stuff. Start making a stockpile today. Northwest Retention Systems out of Washington. Not a sponsor. Just a great company. They make awesome kick-ass gun holsters. I carry uh, a piece with me, a sidearm, if you will, when I elk hunt, whether I'm in G-Bear country or not. And I have two different holsters, one that fits a 44 mag for G-Bears and one that fits a Glock 40 caliber for when I'm just in wolf and black bear country. And I keep that scout chest holster underneath my binos. You can get the elk shape one specifically if you go to their website site northwest retentions website you'll see it the scout model that's elk shape there's no shipping and handling there's no discount code and the uh, five day lead time super fast two more is wilderness athlete elk shape 30 30 off your first purchase need i say more last but certainly not least vortex wear the discount code is elk shape that'll get you 20 percent off any of their awesome apparel and they really stepped up their game you have to go check it out that's what I got for you guys. Next week is the Elk Nut himself, Paul Medell. I can't wait to share this podcast with you guys. You're going to love it. Take care. Have the best week ever. Catch you on the next one.